All right, good morning, everybody. If you want to turn your Bibles to Numbers 19 and 20, that's what we'll be covering. 19 and 20 today. JC, uh, stillness, what is the uh, February, what? 9th? So, okay, February 9th at 7 o'clock at uh, the bridge. We'll have a, a night of worship for all congregants in the, in the area. Um, JC will be up there, and then also Sam, their worship leader, will be up there, and everybody's invited for that. So um, join them for that. There's a flyer out there if you forget what I just said, and it'll give you the details on it. It's called Stillness, and that's coming up in February. Um, I think that's it for now. Since we have the garage sale coming up, keep that in mind. We're going to start keep, you know, for the orphanage. Um, you can start bringing that stuff anytime. We'll find a place for it. But we, you know, closer to the date would be better just so we don't, you know, we're all not worshiping, you know, around microwaves and knickknacks, you know, in the sanctuary here. Um, but uh, keep that in mind as that's coming up. Breaking Chains is coming up. Um, there's a chili supper this uh, Saturday, I believe. What time is that? Is that? Seven, six, five? Six thirty. Thank you. Six thirty this Saturday. Correct. I really write this stuff down. Friday. Friday. Yeah, now you're completely confused. <laughs> just slide your money in the door. If it's uh, locked, just slip it under there and it's going to go to breaking chains. Um, anyway, all right, let's get into the word. All right, Numbers 19 and 20. Uh, this is the last section, basically. It actually starts in chapter 20, but the last section, they're, they're making their march uh, towards uh, the Red, uh, not the Red Sea, the, the um, um, man, I better start over. I'm going to go back out there and come back in again. Um, the Jordan River, they're going to go to the Promised Land. And, and uh, remember the, the congregants, the nation of Israel, the generation that rejected God's plan have to die off. Anybody ages 20 and over before they can go in, because they rejected God's plan, because they decided not to follow the Lord and not to believe God. And so there's several uh, that'll die during this section here, and it's symbolic of the next generation coming up. Um, and so anyway, verse 1, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish, in which there is no defect, and on which... A yoke has never come. You shall give it to Eliezer the priest, and he shall take it outside the camp. And it shall be slaughtered before him. And Eliezer the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. This red heifer is going to be used as a burnt offering, and then the ashes are going to be mixed with water. We're about to read this, and then it helps people. Um, it's, it's used to... Uh, help defile people become undefiled is the idea. And many people see this as a, a picture of Christ, as the red heifer is being taken outside the camp, being slaughtered, um, and then being back, back inside, mixed with water, mixed with God's word, so to speak. And then once it's applied to the person, they're no longer undefiled. Okay, so you can see where we're headed with this as a picture and a type of Christ. So then, the heifer shall be burnt or burned in his sight. Its hide, its flesh, its blood, and its offal shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire, burning the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes, he shall bathe in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. And the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in the water, bathe in, the, bathe in water, and shall be unclean until evening. 
Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a place, in a clean place. And they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for uh, the water of purification. It is, the pur- from, it is for purifying from sin. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It shall be a statute forever to the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells among them. So some very specific details as to how they're do, to do this, but that they are supposed to do this. More of God's wisdom and, uh, and a, a picture, a typology. He's trying to get the, the nation of Israel thinking in a certain direction, and he uses, like a good Sunday school teacher, uh, object lessons. This is what this is for. The ashes in the water really don't do anything because they're sprinkled. Uh, the washing would, um, but the sprinkling is more symbolic than anything. Um, and so this is what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to, to do it just like I told you to do it and, and, and keep this statute forever. He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. So he's switching gears now. He's talking about when you find a dead body in a tent or if you find a dead body someplace, somebody's got to touch that body. Somebody has to bury it. Somebody has to do something with it. And this is not sin that they touched a dead body. This is just here's what you do if it happens to you or if you're part of the ceremony or part of the team uh, that needs to take care of the situation. He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. And, and I say that because we don't want to ever confuse unclean with uh, wicked sinner. Okay, They're just unclean. They literally have problems. They've dealt with a dead body. Um, I think everybody here would hope that you'd wash your hands after dealing with a dead body. And that's the idea. He's keeping them from and protecting them from any kind of diseases or any complications that can come from being in contact with a rotting corpse. That's all it is. Um, He doesn't explain bacteria to them. He doesn't explain many things to them. He just says, I want you to do what I'm telling you to do. He doesn't develop the microscope. You know, he doesn't show them a Petri dish or show them a slide, you know, or anything like that. He does this. And the reason I'm going through all this is because there's a lot of things God tells us to do in God's word that we really don't understand why he tells us to do it. But it doesn't mean we don't do it. And it doesn't mean that it's not for our protection. He doesn't maybe reveal everything about the reasons why we're doing these things. Nevertheless, just do it because I asked you to. Every parent can identify with that. Do I have to explain everything to you, child? Just do it. I got a million things going on here. I'd like you to do that. I want you to do that. Why? I, I, I don't have time to explain it. Just do it. You know, I, I know any boss would appreciate an employee like that. Now, why are we doing it this way? Okay, well, let's all have a conference about why I asked you to clean the toilets at the workplace. No, we don't need to do that. Just do what I asked you to do, you know? And so God at times will tell us, look, just do this. It's for your best. He who touches a dead body if anyone, uh, of anyone shall be unclean seven days. By then, you're fine. Everything's died off that you've come in contact with, and you're not, gonna, you're not a contagious person. You're not going to affect the whole camp. He shall purify, after the seven days, he shall purify himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day, two times. Then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. Whoever touches the dead body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. That person shall be cut off from Israel. He shall be unclean because the water of purification was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanness is still on him. I want you to do what I've asked you to do. 
The problem was you touched a dead body. The solution was you purify yourself with the water. The result, if you don't, is you'll defile. And God's answer to that is you're going to be cut off from Israel. I want you to really believe me when I tell you to do these things. When it comes to Jesus Christ, it's not an option. It's not a way. It's not one road of many. I've asked you to believe on my son, Jesus Christ. He who believes shall be saved. He who has the Son has the Father. And if you don't have the Son, you do not have the Father. You are cut off. And that is a fact. Anybody that tries to soften that does not understand the heart of God and the picture that he's shown of Jesus Christ throughout all of Scripture. All of Scripture tells us that there is going to be a Messiah, a way that God's going to provide a plan. Nobody read 11 through 13 and said, well, that's kind of narrow with this dead body thing. I mean, what if we did a black heifer? What difference does it make? Do the red heifer like I asked, but I'd like black better than red. Just do what I asked you to do. Well, I don't like that Messiah. I don't like Jesus. What's wrong with him? Well, I don't have any problem with Jesus necessarily. I just don't like the fact that you told me he was the only way. Honestly, that's usually the problem. Is the fact that you told me there's one way. That makes me mad for some reason. Even though it's a great way, they don't have any problem with Jesus. He's great. He never did anything wrong. He healed everybody. He was loving and caring and told those religious leaders everything I'd like to tell those religious leaders. But they don't believe him because you said he's the way. Oh, that makes people upset. That's because there's rebellion in our heart. There always is. There's nothing wrong with telling your kids to go to bed at 8 or 9 or whenever their bedtime is. There's nothing wrong with it. And you know what? You're usually so tired. We had this last night. It was a little funny situation with Bo. It's Anna's birthday, and they're watching a little movie with everybody, and the older kids get to stay up and finish it, but it was time for the little kids to go to bed. You know, and you can finish it today. You get to finish it today. Just You can't stay up past this time. Uh, there's just this, you know, not nasty. They weren't nasty kids. They're just like, oh. And as, before we got from the couch to the stairs, because they're good, obedient kids, they got up and went anyway. They got to the stairs, and he goes, I'm just so tired, Dad. So why were you complaining? I was giving you a blessing. You get to go to bed, you know? Jenny and I were like, bedtime, bedtime. Bed. The day is over, you know? God's asked him to do a really simple thing here. Nobody complains about it. They say, okay, just do this. And same with Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. It's easy. He's easy. It's a wonderful way. It's, a, it's free. Grace is free. It costs Christ everything, but it's free to us. And so we can see that picture here um, of what he's trying to get them to do. Verse 14. This is the law when a man dies in a tent. So we've got some specific things. Um, he's going to explain to them that everything in the tent is contaminated now. Um, all who come into the tent, all who are in the tent shall be unclean seven days. You've breathed it, you've smelled it, you've whatever come in contact with. It's been a closed atmosphere. There's not a whole lot of airflow. Obviously, there's a problem. Um, and, very, uh, and, and every open vessel which has no cover fastened on it is unclean. In other words, the fastened covered vessels were fine. Whoever in the open field touches, now we're switching to open field, touches one who is slain by a sword or who has died, or a bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. Even if you're outside and not in a tent, it's still a problem because you've touched it. Uh, walking by it wouldn't have been an issue, um, but if you touch it, it would be. And for an unclean person, they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer burnt for purification from sin, and running water shall be put on them in a vessel. This clean person shall 
take hyssop and dip it in the water, sprinkle it on the tent and on the vessels, all the vessels, and uh, the person who were, who were there, or on the one who touched the bone, and so on. And he describes everything that we're going to do. I'm not going to read it all. Um, you can finish it up. Um, the sprinkling, we don't know what's taking place there. I don't know if there's some sort of, uh, you know, if it's alkaline or something because of the ashes in the water and it's, it's removing any acid or if there's some kind of disinfectant properties there. I don't know. I, w- I don't want to speculate. I haven't researched it, but that's what you do. And it's just simple. Just do it, you know, um, and trust God that it's going to work out. Now, chapter 20 is really where we're going to dig in. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zin, in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Miriam was Moses' uh, sister. She was the one that followed him along while he was floating down the Nile in the, in, the, in the little ark that his mom had made for him. And she said, you know, watch out for him. See where he goes. And Miriam went and followed and saw him get taken into Pharaoh's household and was, uh, you know, there's a protector. She's known for that. It's a good heritage for her. She's also known for worship. She was the one that was dancing and worshiping the Lord and leading in worship. That was wonderful. The problem is she's also known for one other thing, isn't she? Rebellion against him. A rebellion against the leadership. And that's left a black mark on Miriam's name. She's got a lot of great things, a lot of good things, you know. But on her headstone, you'd have to put, oh, she really took care of Moses. And oh, she was a wonderful worship leader. And oh, yeah, God gave her leprosy because she rebelled. You know, um, these things happen, and they're a black spot, and that's what she's known for, and she's dying off. She's one of the reasons. She's one of the people um, that caused the, the fact that the nation of Israel can't go into the promised land. Um, and that's, it's, it's a sad thing, um, but, you know, um, there's no, nothing else said about it uh, except that her legacy is sort of tainted. Um, it's amazing what one little thing can do uh, to a person's reputation. They could have done a million great things, but they do this one bad thing, and it's like, it really messes you up. It's, it, you know, we call it today blowing your witness. You can be leading your office space and office place for, uh, to Christ for years and years and years, but you had that one day when that customer got to you and you slammed the phone down, and that's all you had to do. Slam the phone down and say, oh, I hate my job. And that's what they've all been waiting for. And everything you've ever said, everything you've ever planted, maybe, you know. And it's kind of a sad moment. It's a sad time. And it was for her. It was a bad time for her. And, I, you know, we just want to guard our hearts against that stuff. Um, to keep that from our reputation. I mean, God's a, he guards our reputations and, and takes care of us. But to watch that flesh, it's just ever-present, you know? I know it's dead, and I know we've reckoned it dead. The old man's dead, but boy, it gets up and rises once in a while, it seems like. Um, and it's, it's really hurtful and harmful. Now, uh, next, verse 2, there, were, uh, there was no water for the congregation. So they've come to this new place, and there's no water. Remember, there's 2 million, 3 million people, plus all their animals. So they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. What are they talking about? Well, Moses here is trying to make a transition here. Chapter 20 is this next generation. Miriam's died. He points off that that's one of the last few people of that 20 and older, that, or 21 and older, that had to die. And now this 20 and under crowd that's now 40 years older, they're in their 60s now, understand that, are taking on the same attributes as their parents. 
They're beginning to say the same things as their parents did. Now, Moses has got to hear this and be like, oh, no, you've got to be kidding me, you know. The last time this kind of attitude rose up in the congregation, we walked around for 40 years. You know, they're on their 38th year, if you wanted to know where we were at time-wise. And so they begin to say these things. If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. I, I wish I had died with that generation that died. Some of these things just don't make any sense, but that's what they're saying to him. Why have you brought us up? Or brought up, why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. Does that raise any questions in your mind? Who told you that the wilderness was going to be full of these awesome things? No, the promised land had all that stuff. That's where it is. You're on the road to the promised land. You're on the way there. What made you think you were going to have all that now? Nobody promised you that, but that's what's going on in their minds. This wilderness is horrible, you know? There's no pomegranates. You said there was going to be pomegranates. I don't know what they sounded like, but I like to give them a little surfer attitude, you know? No, no, I never promised that. The, the promised land had it, and we could have had that 40 years ago, and you'd, you'd have a, a huge vineyard by now. But we didn't go in because of your parents' rebellion. And you're picking it up. They're picking it up. Well, anyway, they're complaining about uh, no water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And that's what you do. You know, there's a complaint against you. You know, they complain against Moses. Moses knows enough not to take it personally and Brings it to the Lord. Hey, the people are upset again with me uh, about what you told me to do. You know, that's usually how you got to come to God in your prayer. Everybody's mad again because you told me to do that one thing. And God's going to answer and help him out here. So, um, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it shall yield its water. Thus, you shall bring water for them out of this rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. Now that'd be great if that's where the story ended, you know, and we just didn't hear the rest of it. Because so far Moses is doing everything like he's supposed to do. He went before the Lord with the people's complaints, asked him for an answer. God gave him a beautiful answer, and he began to do exactly what God commanded him to do. He's on his way. He's dealt with people with a bad attitude, um, their bad attitude is simply because they're not trusting in God. That's where that comes from. It's hard to separate those two. People with a bad attitude usually don't have a simple trust in the Lord, um, or they're having a lapse in their faith, basically. Um, that's where bad attitudes come from. And so um, he's dealt with it. He's asked God, and God's told him, I don't, remember, do you remember this rock? This is the same rock that Moses struck, and the water came out, and now he wants him to speak to the rock. This rock follows him around. Um, and we'll, read, we'll get into that a little bit more here out of uh, 1 Corinthians. But um, that's what I want you to do. Speak to the rock. It will, it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water uh, for them out of the rock. Now, here's what happens. He does everything he's supposed to do. He grabs the stick like he's supposed to, the staff, and he goes to the people. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, here now, you rebels, exclamation point. So he's yelling at him. He's mad. Must we bring water uh, for you out of this rock? 
Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation uh, and the animals drank. This is huge. Doesn't seem huge. Seems like you slammed your phone down at the office one day. Not a big deal. You know, we can have a bad day, right? This is big. One of the things we prayed for on Saturday, or I prayed for, was not to become a curmudgeon. I don't know if you know what that word is. It's not something we use very often. I just don't want to be an old, crabby person. I don't want to be a curmudgeon with the next generation that's rising up. I don't want to be that complainer, the grumpy old man, get off my lawn kind of thing, you know, get out of my property, you know, kids. Um, I don't want to be that person. And so that was my prayer. And this is basically what's happening to Moses. We all understand his frustration. We can all see where he's coming from. We can all, as human beings, understand as a leader, this has got to be, you know, annoying to run into this every single day. But he treats them not like they're God's children. They treat them like they're his own children. He treats them like they've asked for something they shouldn't have asked for. Um, God says, I want to give them the water. And here's how I want you to do it. I want you to speak to the rock. Something bigger is going on here that we'll elaborate on in a few minutes. But for now, Moses is just flat out disobeying God. That's all we need to know about him in this situation. He's taken the staff like he's supposed to, but he didn't speak to the rock. He struck it twice. He's mad. For emphasis, apparently. There's your water. Well, honestly, you're in a desert. I can see where they'd want water. It's not an unusual request. They didn't need to say all the things that they said. They said it wrong. They asked wrongly. They kind of threw a little temper tantrum. I wish we were dead. This place is nothing like you promised. And besides that, we're thirsty. Could have just said we're thirsty, you know, but they elaborated. And out of all of their heart, and that's usually what it is, just a little trigger. And everything comes out, you know. I don't know if you have a, ever had an argument maybe in your household with anybody. And it could be something small, you know. Pick up your dishes kind of thing. Or would you take this to the thing? Or would you do this or that? And all of a sudden, everything comes out that's been building, you know. Everything they've been thinking about over the last month. Well, yeah, well, now that I've got your attention, and they just, you know, just asked you to pick up your dishes, you know, kind of thing. Um, this is kind of what's happening here. And Moses is like, okay, okay. I go to the Lord, and the Lord says, what is, you know, usually the conversations with God are like, um, Moses, step back, and I'm going to wipe out the congregation and start all over with you. Remember that's happened twice now? I don't know. Maybe he was open for that this time. And maybe he was going to say, that'd be just fine with me. Get him. You know? But God doesn't. All of a sudden, God shows grace and mercy. Hey, just speak to the rock. What? Okay, all right. Get your water right here. He just adds a little emphasis. He throws in his taste, his flavor, and in process, misrepresents God to the people. Misrepresents God's heart. Mischaracterizes God. God has now become like all other pagan gods, little g's that these people have ever come in contact with. He's a vengeful, angry, spiteful God that if we don't please him, he gets angry with us and he's mad at us and he's, you know, all these things. And that is not what God wanted Moses to show him. But God gave him the water anyway. In other words, I'm going to take care of my people 
and I'm going to deal with you, Moses, now. In front of everybody, he's going to do this. Here's what God says to Moses. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me, that's the sin. Because you did not, did not believe me, to hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. You've just joined the group that had to die off. Now you're the last ones that need to die off before I can take these people in. And somebody else is going to bring them. Rough. Seems rough. That's how important and that's how big a problem this is. That's how personally God took it. Even Psalm 106, 32 and 33 describe this provoking of Moses, but never gives him an out. Never says it was okay. Never says, well, we can understand. This is God's response to that. You made me look like all other gods. You didn't hallow me before them, and you didn't believe me, because I would have if you'd just spoken, let water out of that rock. Moses even throws in the fact that he had something to do with it. Do we have to, or do I have to bring water out of this rock? You've never brought water out of that rock. God's been doing that. You've been a part. You've been a tool, maybe. But you've never been the one to bring the water. The water comes from God. And keep that in mind always. Always keep that in mind. As a minister, as a servant of God, whether you're up here or whether you're ministering anywhere, any shape or form, it's never, ever you that brings life to people. It's never you that causes people to be born again. It's never your words and your brilliant whatevers that does anything for anybody. It's the Holy Spirit and it's God that does the work. Always. Now he does let us strike the rock once and he does let us speak to the rock. He does let us represent him to this world. He does allow us to do that and that is very important. But never should we ever say this to the people, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Mm -mm. That puts you in between them and God and he's never liked that. Just let the people come to me. Let them come to me. So he gets in trouble. But on the other hand, God still used him. God brought the water. He didn't say, nope, you didn't do it right. Speak to the rock and then I'm going to bring the water. He let that hitting the rock twice work. Here's another thing we need to learn. Just because water's flowing, just because there's evidence, doesn't mean that the person doing it is right. Sometimes we get confused by like, you know, well, they're doing it right. Look how many people they got. That doesn't make any difference. It just means God's going to do what he wants to do. He's going to take care of his people. He's going to teach them. He's going to heal them. He's going to do whatever. It doesn't mean the person in charge is doing anything right. Don't get confused. Are they lining up with God's word? And is there fruit? Very important. Moses is wrong here. And yet God brings the water, despite him, or in spite of him. Now, that's the end of it. That's all they tell us about it. It's amazing. Um, no comment from Moses. That must have crushed him. We know it does, in fact. Later on, Moses is going to say, as they come up to the promised land, they come over to this hill. God takes them on top of this hill. And he wants to show them, there it is, Moses. You, you can't go across the Jordan. You don't get to take them there, but there it is. And that was everything to him. And that's where he died. Now, this tells me about Moses' heart. It means he loves God. I mean, he blew it. He misrepresented him. 
But someone who didn't love God and misrepresents him could care less about the promised land, could care less about the people. But Moses says, I want to see that promised land. I want to look. I want to see where, what I messed up. He owns it, but he has a heart you know, for it. That means he loves God. So we do have those days, and we can have those moments, and we can blow our witness and all that, but it doesn't mean you don't love God. It just means you didn't do that well, and you let your flesh win that day. On the other hand, it's very serious that's happened. You don't just get to blow it off as a bad day. You've misrepresented God, and you need to get it right. You know, All these things are in play here. Verse 14, now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. They're moving towards it. They're coming through the land of the Edomites. Edomites are Esau's people. The people that are traveling through Esau's land or want to are the Israelites. Those are Jacob's people. Jacob and Esau were brothers, if you don't know the story. And so as Israel, whose name got changed from Jacob to Israel, that the same group of people, same family, cousins, now, <laughs> they're coming up to the Edomites, who are Esau's descendants, and they say, Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardships that have that has befallen us. How our fathers went down to Egypt, and we dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. When we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us up out of Egypt. Now, here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass through your country. We will not pass through fields or vineyards, nor will we drink water from wells, we will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. Now, that's fair. It's in quotations because this was probably written down. Your brother Israel, it's a good way to start off, we're brothers, has got to come through your land. We've had a lot of hardship. But God has delivered us, so God's on our side. He's letting them know we're brothers and God's on our side. We just want to pass through your land. I know there's a lot of us, and that can be kind of freaky to see an entire country move through your country. You know, it's a little nerve-wracking. But we promise we won't, go, we won't take a step off the highway. We just want to pass through. It's a shorter route. Simple. We're not going to drink you dry. Two, two million people would do that, wouldn't they? You know, how much water can two million people drink? You know, a lot. And your camels and all your livestock and everything. We won't do anything. We just want to get through. We just want to pass through. And so he lets them know this is a peaceful passage. And then Edom said to him, you shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with a sword. Wow, that's harsh. There must be some suspicion. There must be some, well, they don't believe him, flat out. I don't believe you, no. We've seen you wipe out the entire Egyptian army. And it's funny, as you say these things, you wiped out the entire Egyptian army. We know what kind of people you are. And you're going to say no to us? <laughs> you know, I mean, if your suspicion is that we're evil... <laughs> and you just told us no, I, I would think you'd be a little more nervous about the no than the yes. But nevertheless, that's what they say. So the children of Israel said to him, we will go by the highway, this is their second plea, and if I or my livestock drink any of your water, even if we did, even though we promised we wouldn't, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. We don't want to do anything. We're not here to take over. Then he said, you shall not pass through. No. And, look at this, to emphasize it, so Edom came out against them with many men and with a strong hand. So they show up with their army. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. All right. 
I mean, as soon as two million people turn around and start going the long way around, you should have realized right then, uh, I, I really thought you were going to like charge us. Like on the second no, we thought you were going like, to come out and your true intentions were going to come out because we had it in our mind that you were thinking this way and we do that sometimes with each other. We get suspicious. We get, uh, I know what they're thinking. I know exactly what they're thinking. You don't know what they're thinking. We've got to believe people at the word. We have to trust them at the word. Love believes all things until actions prove otherwise. That would mean we have to be stupid about it. But if that's what you say, I'm going to believe you at your word. Okay. Okay. But they don't. And so two plus million people and all their animals decide to go the long way now to honor that. Okay. Um, this feud between, remember there was a feud between Esau and Jacob. That ended way back in Genesis 32:33. It was over with. It was done. They gotten straightened out. Um, remember, he kept sending, Israel kept sending his, Jacob sending his wives and his kids before him and all the gifts and everything to Esau. And finally they met and they hugged and everything. And everything was pretty much mended, we assumed. But this generation, generations later, it's still a bitter root in their heart. It still affected even the kids and the grandkids and the great grandkids. So they're carrying on this tradition of hating Israel. Guys, it's still happening today. There is this attitude towards Israel. There is this thing. Um, Jeff O'Leary, he was a colonel in the uh, Air Force, and he did some interesting things over in the the sandbox over there, and um, interesting stories that he doesn't tell us everything about, and he's not one of those guys that says, I'd tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. He's not like a, it's not like false bravado. He just says, yeah, we were over there, and we had an apartment, and we were doing these things and that. We were in this tent with one of the leaders of one of the Taliban. I'm going, okay, who gets an apartment over there and goes and talks to the Taliban people? Who's this guy? You know, he says, yeah, we were there and we were sitting and we thought everything was straightened out. And he leans over to me and we're in good friends. He says, you see that man over there? He's out there outside the tent. He goes, he's a camel thief. He's a camel thief. He goes, oh, really? He goes, when did he steal a camel from you? And why is he working for you? Well, he didn't steal a camel from me. It was his grandfather who stole a camel from me. He's a camel thief. Nevertheless, he says, it was that point I realized this is never going to get solved. None of this is ever going to get fixed. They don't ever let it die. That guy had done nothing but serve and been a, a blessing to this guy. One of the best camel caregivers this guy's ever had under his authority. But his grandfather stole a camel, so he, therefore, is a camel thief. And it's still there. It's still there. You can see that here. Guys, we don't want to be like that. Root of bitterness will destroy you. It'll, it'll kill you. And if you don't deal with it, you may pass it on to your kids inadvertently. And they'll grow up thinking, well, I hate those people. Why do you hate those people? I don't know. They've got the wrong color skin. What did they ever do to you? What is wrong with having a different amount of melanin in your skin? What's the point of that? What do you, you know? I don't know. It just is just ingrained. We have to be careful. Careful, careful, careful. Long time ago, back in 1922, this one guy did this one thing, and therefore, and they lumped everybody into that group. God wants to remove that bitterness from us because it'll kill. It may not show up every day, but it shows up every once in a while. Got to guard our hearts against it. And so this bitterness is still there. Now, verse 22, this is the death of Aaron. Now, the children of Israel, the whole congregation journeyed from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor and 
by the border of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given to the children of Israel, because you rebelled against my word at the water of Mirabah. Now, uh, take Aaron and Eliezer, his son, and bring them up uh, to Mount Or, and strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eliezer, his son, for Aaron shall be gathered to his people and die there. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded, and they went up to Mount Or. In the sight of all the congregation, Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eliezer, his son, and Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eliezer came down from the mountain. Now when the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, all the the house of Israel mourned for Aaron 30 days. Oh, there's our calf maker. He died. I don't know what they were thinking at the time, but they mourned for him. Now, that's where we close today, but I, 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 I can't stop without filling you in on the reason. The reason Moses isn't allowed to go in. Why is it such a big deal? It's a big deal because God is showing a picture. He's trying to build a picture of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, Paul writes to the Corinthian church and tells them, that rock that followed the nation of Israel around, that's Christ. It's symbolic of Christ. And Christ gets smitten once. He gets struck with the stick once. And after that, now that he's died once for all, which is Hebrews 10, verses 10 through 12, now all you do is speak to the rock. That's all you need to do, and that's Romans Chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. Anybody that comes to Christ now doesn't need to crucify him daily or over and over again. You simply speak to him. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you shall be saved. Water comes. Life-giving water comes out of that rock, comes out of Christ for you. Every single person. You can't mess the picture up, Moses. You can't strike him again, not just once. Not another time, because he died once for all. Some people... We can think there's no, it's no big deal to, you know, uh, can't you let that go in that doctrine or in that church or whatever? God doesn't let those things go that mess up the picture. God doesn't. He, he wants them to understand that. Moses, I can't let this go. You've, you've missed. If I let this go and people think that you smite the rock more than once to get water to come out of it, then they're going to believe later on that Jesus is going to need to be crucified over and over and over and over again, and that's not true. This picture has to be true. Christ died 2,000 years ago once for all. The Word of God tells us that. John 7.37 tells us anybody that thirsts simply believes in their heart and trusts in Christ and will receive him. And then, of course, Romans 10.8 says that when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouths that Jesus, mouth that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. We don't need to smite him. He doesn't mean to be crucified. The little things matter. God's doctrine matters. God's picture matters. All these things matter. Um, and for people that don't study numbers, how could you not study the book of numbers? There is so much here. Imagine what we've learned so far. We're only in Numbers 20. Imagine what you've learned some, so far in, in, in Numbers. If, if you knew, then get the CDs. It's amazing all the things in Numbers that you've, you need to know to help you understand the New Testament. It absolutely brings it to life. It's the picture that we all need to put the truth together in the New Testament. And so God takes it seriously. Man, I don't want to represent Christ or misrepresent Christ. I don't want to smite the rock. I don't want to mess up God's picture. I don't want to do those things. I want to be pure and I want to be true to his word. And that's where, that's where we close today.
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and um, the importance it is that you, uh, throughout the Bible, point to Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament points to you and your son and what you were going to do for us. And the New Testament happens, and after the cross we see um, everything come to pass, all the law, all the prophets. You fulfilled everything that was ever spoken, and we're thankful for that, God. Lord, help us to represent you well in this world, full of grace and mercy, drawing people to you through your love, um, forgiveness. Um, We know that the law does get us through the Red Sea. That baptism of John is effective. But we've got to believe you at your word and allow Joshua or Jesus to take us through the Jordan and get filled with the Holy Spirit so we can have that beautiful, fruitful life of yours, God. Lord, we pray um, for ourselves. Help us not to be complainers. Help us not to misrepresent you. Um, Help us to just walk in your um, truth in obedience, God. So thank you for your word. It is truth. And uh, we love you. Bless these guys as they go today. In Jesus' name. Amen.